Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Is Kirk Cousins the best Vikings quarterback of all time? We're going to dive into that today. And I know Kirk discourse has been rampant over the past week, myself included, stirring up some controversy on Saturday night. We're going to dive into that. We're going to dive into how to compare players across eras. And we're going to directly compare Kirk Cousins to both Dante Culpepper, Fran Tarkington, and some of the other Vikings quarterbacks in the history of the franchise. Stay tuned. It's going to be a wild ride. Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Tyler Fornis, contributor at NBC Sports Edge and USA Today's Vikings Wire, along with being a member at Climbing the Pocket. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Kings of Kirk Cousins Discourse. My name is Tyler Fornis, and with me is producer Dave up top. You know, I got I got the point wrong again. What is my problem? Always like, go opposite. Yeah, yeah, I know, but you know, after working an entire day and then continuing to work throughout the night, sometimes my brain is just absolutely fried. So there's producer Dave, the man himself. Uh, Dave, how are you? I'm doing great. And the solution to that is drink more. Oh, you know what? After the show, because if I drink during the show, it's it's going to get a little extra spicy, and I may say something I'm going to regret later. But okay. let's let's start this conversation here pretty quickly, Dave. We are going to talk a lot about Kirk Cousins, comparing players across eras, how to do that. And we're going to talk about the best Vikings quarterbacks of all time. A lot of this stemmed from uh, stuff that I saw on Saturday night stating that Kirk Cousins was the most skilled quarterback in the history of the franchise, a take that I vehemently disagree with. And we're going to talk about that quite in depth, uh, both Dave and I, because Dave uh, was fortunate enough to be able to watch Fran Tarkington play. I have only watched old games. I did not get to live through it, and he was a special player. We're going to dive into that. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about this Vikings draft class and what rounds five through seven could bring Minnesota Vikings. And I have not had a chance to really dive into the film on all these guys yet. But I have watched most of them play college football, which is going to give you a good synopsis uh, outside of actually breaking them down in depth. So we'll start with Asezi Otomewo. Five technique tackle. Going to bring some versatility on the interior of that defensive line. And Dave, I know that's something that you are a big fan of. And he can play three technique. He can play five technique. He can play as an edge rusher, but that's not necessarily going to be his strength. He's raw as sushi, but there are physical traits and tools there to be developed. And I'll be honest, the Gophers did not do the best job developing their defensive linemen. They had a bunch of really talented players that didn't really develop a lot of nuance under the tutelage of Joe Rossi. They played very well in their roles, but they didn't come out as super dynamic, well-versed athletes. Uh, Boyamate was in a very similar vein, although he was much farther along than Odomewo. So I really like the potential for Odomewo to grow into something, but it's also... He's still a fifth-round pick, and you're going to ask him to play a little bit of a specific role early on, and then he can continue to grow within that. Dave, uh, is there anything you wanted to add to the assessment of Otomeo? You're going to see him on special teams is where you're going to see mm-hmm. him. 
he's going to be down probably on all four trying to get low and get through guys. Now, I agree with you on Minnesota. I wish the Gophers had better, at least an assistant that could help these guys bloom more. They would produce even more pros than they have now, and it could develop into who knows in the future the Gophers could even become a you know defensive lineman school, just like you know Alabama's a well they produce a whole lot, but you know or LSU in their cornerback school. Minnesota has a thing started. Let's hope they continue. He does have some of the factors. He's got the right size, right build. I look forward to seeing him uh, in the preseason, especially at five technique, and see what he does. Yeah, I agree completely. And we're going to continue moving on because uh, just a few picks later at 169, we drafted North Carolina running back Ty Chandler. Chandler, an older prospect. Did not get a lot of touches uh, for both the Tar Heels, where he only spent one season, and the Tennessee Volunteers, where he began his career. Um, did a lot of things that you like, but at the same time, there was still uh, some to be desired. Uh, I like what Chandler brings to the table, but it's going to be really interesting because Kenny Wongwu, is he going to actually be a running back? in this system and grow within that role because we know how dynamic he is with the ball in his hands. Is he going to be able to develop enough as a true running back in order to become the backup? Alexander Madison, he's not really that guy. He's He's got the tools. His eyesight reminds me of Troy Williamson. Williamson couldn't see the ball. Madison can't see the hole. And to me, that's always going to be a major sticking point. Well, I think with Madison, Madison doesn't have the burst speed that either Nwangu or Cook has, right? Madison's good. Madison will get you 100 yards a game. Madison will score touchdowns. But Madison doesn't have that breakaway, make a difference in a game speed that Cook or Nwangu has. Uh, Drew loves the fact that those guys have that. Madison doesn't. He's just a good all around, if I need to plug somebody in and bang some yards, he can do that. Yes, does he miss the holes sometimes? Yes, he misses the holes sometimes. But if you have better blocking, you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I like what Chandler brings to the table, and you kind of mentioned it with that 10-yard split. He's very quick, and he's able to hit the hole fast. His contact balance leaves something to be desired. He's really good catching the ball out of the backfield, which I think is going to be a nice additive uh, for the Minnesota Vikings on third downs because Dalvin Cook is not going to be able to play consistently all three downs. He's going to need somebody to spell him. And don't be shocked if Chandler has a really good camp. If they choose to move on from Alexander Madison, that is not out of the question at this point. Moving on, there are two more guys that we need to talk about. One of whom Michigan State wide receiver Jalen Naylor. And I just want to address Drew here for a minute. Just because you can't grow this kind of hair anymore, Drew, does not mean that I shouldn't be able to. All right. You know, I, I love the hair. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And Actually, I live in Drew the state still of has a full head of hair, unlike me. Dave, you're ruining my bit. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, Drew, much love for you, man. Um, Jalen Naylor, 
really good deep threat. He's a stretch the field kind of receiver. There are some things that he can continue to add to his game because that Michigan State offense was basically, we're going to pound the rock with Kenneth Walker the third, and then we're going to stretch the field deep. They led the nation with uh, plays over 60 yards going for touchdowns. They were able to crack the big play, but the problem was when the big play wasn't there, they tended to struggle uh, Mm -hmm. moving the football. Peyton Thorne could chuck it, but there's just a little too much fuck it in his game, and there there wasn't enough to really string together and enough to really stay consistent. Naylor's a guy that could stretch the field. He's a burner. He's fast. He's got good hands. He can track the ball. But developing the rest of that route tree. That's what he really needs to focus on. And I think uh, somebody like Keenan McCardell is going to be able to help him advance in those areas. Keenan McCardell, if you remember him as a receiver for both the Jaguars and the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers in 2002, he did a really nice job of crafting a role for himself, being a smaller guy. And he was he was never a number one, but uh, he was a 1A to Jimmy Smith, Keyshawn Johnson, and he did a great job of finding ways to get open, maximizing the size and hands that he he had in his arsenal, and made a very productive career for himself. I think some of those elements that he, excuse me, did a great job of learning on his, on his own and crafting throughout the entirety of his career, I think he'd be able to pass those on to Naylor, who has a very similar size profile to what McCardell did during his playing days. Can he be... A guy that can be more than a wide receiver three or four, that that's a stretch right now. But ideally, you're going to get him uh, playing, I don't know, maybe 15 snaps a game. You're going to just send him, hey, stretch the field, go deep, and then you can start to build off of that stop and goes, hitch and goes, hitches, slants. Work him into the mix. Because when you ha- play a lot of 11 personnel, you have to have receiver depth. Right now, The Vikings have very questionable receiver depth, and we don't know. Like We know Osborne's a good wide receiver three. That much is known. Can be a wide receiver two. If I were to answer right now, the answer is no. ISM, can he be a wide receiver three? We genuinely don't know that. I'd say that's a 50-50 proposition at this point, but we know they're very high on him. BC Johnson, torn ACL. Who knows what he's going to be moving forward? He was an okay-ish wide receiver three before the injury. Well, he's supposedly healthy now, so we'll see. But what does that mean? Like, it can he play? Is he a hundred percent effective from where he was? Like, those are questions that we need to answer, Dave. I just, I genuinely don't know. And because we have so many questions on the wide receiver depth behind both Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, if one of them goes down, I'm genuinely worried about this receiving core. I don't disagree there, but I think right now the room is full. They need to step up. Naylor has the opportunity to do such and then mm-hmm. bump off BC or ISM or somebody, especially because none of those guys are Quasi and O'Connell's guys. So there's going to be an easier route for them to go. <laughs> Sorry, you're decent. You can make a team. We're going to let you go. But we want to bring up our young guy that we just drafted. So we'll see. It definitely, yeah. if he can make his money on special teams, and that's the only opportunity he's going to get realistically mm-hmm. to start off with, he needs to. Yeah, 
And Mateo talks about uh, the 2023 draft being loaded with receivers. I I would be a little careful going that direction right now. There are, are some really nice potential names. Kayshawn Boot from uh, LSU. Jordan Addison just transferred to USC. There's some other guys, Jackson Smith and Jigba at Ohio State, but he's pretty much going to play in the slot. And then you're drafting a slot guys, uh, slot guy in round one. So like, there are a lot of question marks with this next receiver class. It's not going to be as much of a slam dunk, I, I think, as it has been in years past, including this past year. So we'll see. Um, there are a lot of really talented players, especially at the edge position going into this next year. So, It'll be interesting to see how this class develops. There are a lot of unknowns. So I don't I don't think we should really commit to anything other than CJ Stroud, no matter what. That I've already could willing to commit to. Um, last pick, guy I really don't know a whole lot about. Nick Muse, the tight end from South Carolina. Uh, really provides some versatility with his size and his athletic profile. Can play a move tight end, can also block. And I think the fact that he is a capable blocker. And his size will be a really nice add to this Vikings team. But there's there's a lot of question marks. Uh, he played tight end in South Carolina, didn't have a lot of production. Uh, I think he's, he's a guy that could end up being that third tight end in the room or fourth tight end potentially if they end up keeping one, but I doubt they do. Likely a practice squad guy at this point. But there is a good athletic profile that you can work with. Yeah, and it's going to take We'll see. Blocking at college level is different than blocking at the pro level. Mm-hmm. There's a huge setup. You're going against defensive ends and edge rushers that know exactly what they're doing and make a living at it. And it's he's going to be he's going to get a wake up call. Yes, a hundred percent. Tight end is one of the hardest positions to translate to the National Football League. Can Muse do it? Don't know, but he is also a uh, he is a seventh round pick. Right. Like if he makes the team and plays decently well in a backup role for the next uh, few years, I'd say that's a big win for the Vikings. Yeah, it it would be. Um, Thadir says he hopes Davidson sets, steps up. I do too, or Ellison. I want to see. One of that room step up and become a true tight end too, or develop into that blocking tight end too, which I think we'll see more of. That's where Ellison has uh, maybe an edge, but we also signed the new kid from the Rams. Um, so who knows how this? It's going to be interesting how the tight end room shakes out over the summer and into uh, preseason through August, it should be interesting to see what these guys do. 100%. Tight end room is one of the biggest question mark rooms on this team because there's just – I wouldn't necessarily say it's the weakest room on the team, but at the end of the day, we just don't know where we're going to get from any of these guys, including Irv Smith Jr., who feels like he's been poised for a breakout season in the last three years. And – we just we don't know what we're going to get from him, especially coming off that injury. So that's going to be a position that you want to keep an eye out during training camp for, because there's there's just a lot of questions on just what the room is going to be. Yep. 
All right. That rounds out the draft. Yeah. I gave the Vikings a B in the article that I wrote for NBC Sports Edge. Loved the first two picks, but I had major question marks pretty much about every pick after that as far as the value versus who was on the board. Now, it's a little different considering I'm media and their team. Their board is way more focused than mine is. Mm-hmm. So there, there are nuances to it, but I thought considering what the Vikings were looking for and what holes they had, I thought they could have been done a better job. At the end of the day, a B is still a good grade because you've got players that can contribute. You've got players that can grow and develop and become plus starters for your team. We'll see how it happens because it, it's just a post-draft grade. We could be looking at, at this draft as an A-plus in a couple years or an F-minus. There's just so much that needs to happen on the field in order to truly evaluate this draft class. Mm-hmm. All right, Dave, before we get into the fun stuff, I think I think we need to talk about our fun partners. Yes, Lake Monster Brewing. Um, they were gl- uh, nice enough to host us at uh, Lake Monster for day two of the draft, which, Dave, I don't think I've told you this. I had a gentleman come into my liquor store the other day, and he recognized me from the broadcast. Really? Yeah, I thought, I thought cool. that was pretty cool. It was very cool. And what was even cooler about it was the delicious beer they were able to drink while we were there. Um, and I know you have been lucky enough to be able to get some. Uh, some, and I still want to talk to Mr. Lang about getting some more. But I'm enjoying local brews here because in Austin we got a lot of, bunch of local breweries as well that make outstanding beers. I tried one the other day. It was my first ever, I said it on Saturday, my first ever fruity IPA. It was a tropical IPA uh, made with mango and other stuff. It is, actually was pretty good. Okay. That, that, sounds, that sounds pretty good, man. Um, but I am, if you're in yeah. St. Paul or the Minneapolis Twin Cities area or across the whole Vikings viewing area of Minnesota, a little bit in the you know, North Dakota, South Dakota. You want a really great beer? Lake Monster's your answer. They make outstanding beers. It's 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 rare. I mean, you got 10,000 lakes, you're out fishing. You're all out there all day having a good time. You get thirsty. Whether and catch that, you know, monster muskie that almost scares you out of the boat. Had that happen at Leeds Lake. Uh, or... You know, you're all day catching walleyes. You want to quench your throat or quench your thirst? Lake Monster's the way to do it. Yes, love Lake Monster. I had the apricot go sour the other day on my brand new patio, and it was delicious. I would high recommend <laughs> it. I've got the rare species uh, and a wit beer in my fridge right now that I still need to drink. That one of those is probably going to happen here tonight. But, Dave. Now comes the fun part of the show. We're going to fight, and it's going to be a good time. And we are going to talk Kirk Cousins. Now, one of the really insufferable parts about this Kirk Cousins debate is it's just everybody going back and forth with the same arguments, talking about the same details. We're going to be doing a little bit of that, I'll be honest with you. But we're going to be taking this conversation to a different level because uh, somebody proposed that Kirk Cousins was the most skilled quarterback in the history of the Minnesota Vikings a take that I vehemently disagree with. And there are a lot of reasons for that. We'll get into it. And 
the discussion really blew up and evolved. And you can kind of take a look at some of the comments and quote tweets uh, from that tweet that I posted Saturday night. There are a wide ranging of passionate opinions on the subject. We're going we're gonna to dive in head first. The most skilled quarterback is a very interesting conundrum because skill is something you could argue is a, a completely opinion-based idea. Um, mm-hmm. So it's there are people throwing out that he uh, this, 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 and just pulling up pro re- football reference stats. That's mm-hmm. not skill. I skill is being, tonight. Yeah. Skill is being able to throw the football. Skill is being able to throw it accurately with power, with, with gusto. And it's the ability to play the position really well. It's not about stats because if it was about stats. We'd be talking about Blake Bortles as a top 10 quarterback because that 2016 and 2017, those years, he put up a lot of stats. But at the end of the day, he wasn't very good. And there's a lot of nuance to this conversation. And one of the big things about the nuance to this conversation is being able to compare Kirk Cousins to quarterbacks of Vikings past. That means Dante Culpepper. That means Tommy Kramer. That means you're like a couple one-offs like Warren Moon and Brett Favre. And that means the great Fran Tarkington. Now, we're going to dive into this, Dave, because I know I this is a topic that I'm very passionate about. You have to be really careful in how you compare guys uh, from eras past because the game is just not the same. No, it's not. And I, I think an easy way to talk about how the game has evolved is to look at the television. What was a top-of-the-line television in 1975 would be something that you don't even have in today's day and age. Like, a, the smallest TV in my house is a 55-inch screen. <laughs> I see where you're going okay. with that. Where is this? Like, in 1975... It was a console, right? Mm-hmm. Sat. Your grandparents may have been rich enough to own one, right? It sat. It had a stereo in it, pop-up lid, had a bar on one side, had a turntable on the other, and it may, may have had a 32-inch screen, if I'm remembering correctly, as being the super largest color screen you can find. That's what TV was in 1975, probably made by RCA, no less. Uh, mm-hmm. They made good products. Oh, then. I had plenty of RCA TVs when I was a kid. I remember my dad came home in 1995 with a 35-inch Mitsubishi, and I thought it, that was a Cadillac. Oh, that TV was awesome. But yep. they, they were the reason, tubes. Uh, yep. That was that – was trust me, I remember that. I remember watching – Many an hours of football on those TVs. Mm-hmm. The reason why I bring up the television and why it relates to this conversation, the evolution of what the game be- was in 1975 is eons different from what it is today. Like, Jack Tatum would literally paralyze people across the middle. And he did that to Daryl Stingley uh, of the New England Patriots in the 80s. Like He paralyzed him from the neck down. Yeah paralyzed people and there was no penalty it was perfectly legal now nowadays it was a legal hit yeah back then if i go like this boom (laughs) 
and I touch you, five yards legal contact. Right, uh, and if you breathe on Aaron Rodgers wrong, you're getting the yellow flag. Yes, we know. Bingo. So we have to take those things into consideration when you compare across eras. Dan Marino in 1984 threw for 5,084 yards. The first player to ever break that 5,000-yard plateau. That did not happen again until 2012 when Drew Brees did it. And it has only happened eight other times. There's a reason why it didn't happen between 1984 and 2012. The rules were too strict when it came to passing the football. There was, you could hit the quarterback. I don't know. I'm about to say, I don't know that they were strict. They were more defensive oriented. Um, Yeah. And and then I guess that's, we're both talking about the same thing, just using different verbiage. All right. Mm -hmm. Receivers could be mauled at the line of scrimmage, and they could continue to have physical contact throughout All the entire the the route. Yep. You could annihilate players over the middle, making mm-hmm. the middle of the field feared. You had mm-hmm. your Steve Atwaters, one of my favorite plays of all time, is in Super Bowl 31 on a third down at the end of the game. Steve Atwater crushed Robert Brooks so hard that he knocked himself out, and he knocked out Darian Gordon, his cornerback. That's the kind of imposing threat that teams wanted to have is on safety. You wanted to have somebody who's going to come over the middle and literally kill you, decapitate people. You don't have that anymore because the rules are so dialed in for one player safety to excitement of the game based on the offensive side of the football. You just can't have that. And so Purple you, Hayes also brings up equipment and the helmet. The helmets back then, yeah, uh, back even when I was young, they were just starting to lean away from him, hit with the head, right? We still, mm-hmm. we lined up, take your face mask, bullseye, aim, hit, slot, right? Now it's not even hit with the head, it's hit with the shoulder straight off the get-go. Um, but back then in the pros, they were taking their heads and they were using them as missiles. That's what they did. It was a much more violent sport on the defensive side versus the offensive guys, and that would curtail the production of wide receivers and quarterbacks. Quarterbacks didn't wear skirts back then, right? They got mm-hmm. pummeled, and the guys that stood out that didn't, you know, that lived through that and did excel. That's that's a lot more than the guys now do because the guys now would never, ever accept the abuse that they got like that. Yeah, the the league doesn't accept it anymore, and it is for good reason. It's long term health. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that needs to be taken into consideration when you talk about the quarterback position. Something that uh, a friend of the show, Eric Eager, has talked about quite frequently, and I completely agree with him. The era of the backup quarterback is dead. You have guys, like, very rarely do you have a backup quarterback thing come in and win you multiple games. If you do, it's a first-round pick. Or it's a guy like Case Keenum that you signed for a million bucks that just comes in and has a miracle job. You're not developing guys anymore at the quarterback position. Uh, Oh, nice pull by Drew. Um, You don't have Jay Fiedlers of the world. You don't have the Packers flipping Mark Brunel and Matt Hasselbeck for multiple picks. Jimmy Garoppolo, Jacoby Brissett, those guys aren't there anymore. They're not being drafted to sit and be a backup quarterback and then eventually take over. 
Cody Carlson from the Oilers is a great example because after 93, they got rid of War Moon. Moon came up here. Cody Carlson was there for eight years as the backup, and then they entrusted him to be the guy. You don't have those situations anymore. One of the reasons you don't have those situations is because the quarterback dispar- play disparity from your top guys to your backups is larger than it's ever been because we you don't have five great quarterbacks anymore. You have 10 to 12 great quarterbacks in this league. There's just a lot more top-end talent at the position. Two, you don't have to worry about guys getting hurt like you used to. Because you had your Fran Tarkingtons, your Terry Bradshaws, your Bob Greasy, who's hurt every five seconds. They're getting thrown around. They're getting mauled in the backfield, mm-hmm. and they're getting just thrown around like ragdolls. You can't do that anymore because of the rules. And I think those things need to be taken into account when you have these conversations because you're playing in a completely different era. Yes. If you were to put a guy like Fran Tarkington in today's era, he throws a lot fewer interceptions, a lot more touchdowns for a lot more yards because the skill surrounding him is going to be better, even though the skill in defense, it, you could you would argue, is equally better. Mm-hmm. But the rules are so much better for the offensive side of the football. And that's kind of what you're looking at. And to compare across eras, you have to compare them to the people in their era and how great they were and try to extrapolate it to pro- and project it out. That's why when I take a look at what my who my greatest quarterbacks of all time are, John Elway is number two. John Elway. One one of the one of the things that I talk about, and I I released that um, article that I wrote last year for climbing the pocket, how to build the greatest of all time list. One of the things I prioritize more than anything is how you elevate people around you. Before he got prime Shannon Sharp and Terrell Davis, like you really couldn't name guys he was throwing to. Vance Johnson, Vaughn Hebron, Michael Jackson. Like you were but talking it, about it, guys, who but were it took okay. Elway a while to mm-hmm. fine tune his game to where he could play. Elway was always good; he could throw a football through a cinder block wall. Brett Favre it was, was Uncle very Rico. much this is very much the same way. But it took Elway until the second half of his career where he learned better placement, better touch, better mm-hmm. stuff that the receivers could actually catch it versus breaking their hands trying. And that led to the two back-to-back Super Bowls. Yep. It's, but uh, in the first half of that career, though, Dave, he still led them to three Super Bowls. And it was during a time where mm-hmm. I believe the Broncos had the first loss of that streak where the NFC won 13 consecutive Super Bowls. And then he ended up being the first two wins for the AFC after that streak. So, like... The whole idea behind Elway being better in the second half career, I 100% agree with you. The reason I bring him up is because he elevated talent around him early on, so much so that he was carrying those offenses to those titles and to those AFC championships. And And the Vikings would love to have a quarterback capable Mm -hmm. of carrying the offense to the titles. I've been screaming that for years. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons Like I bring this up because in in all around, we're going to get to the Kirk Cousins versus the other quarterbacks here in a second. Mm-hmm. I bring it up because I think it's an important point that 
if you have great talent around you and you're a great quarterback, you should maximize the talent. If you are a great quarterback and you don't have talent around him and you're still putting up numbers and being great, then that says something about who you are as a quarterback. It says that you are a next level. There are guys who can take any car, drive it, and win the race. There are guys who have to have like a Camaro and you give them a Camaro, they'll win the race. There are guys who you hand them to a keys to a brand new Lamborghini, all souped up, all the bells and whistles. And they have a chance to win the race. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what separates the good from the great quarterbacks. Bill Mackey, another friend of the show on Purple Daily today, releases quarterback tiers list. And I think tiers are more important than rankings because you have if you don't have a guy who can dr- like who can drive whatever car you have to the promised land, then you don't truly have a franchise quarterback. You have a very good quarterback who you pay franchise money to. And I oh, think, in my trust me, if you're a NASCAR is, fan, you see it all the time. There are certain mm-hmm. particular drivers that are that way, right? Oh, he would win if he had a better car on a better team, and they give him the better equipment, move you know, move teams, and he still doesn't win because he doesn't do enough. It's got to be absolutely perfect. And uh, NASCAR fans, you know, complain that. Certain particular drivers are that way. Mm-hmm. It's the same in football. You've got to have – I would take – we all know Teddy Bridgewater, right? We love Teddy Bridgewater. His leadership skills, his infectious smile. Yes, Drew, he had a great smile. But he, in his short time with Minnesota before he blew up his knee, got more out of his players, right, and got them further on lesser skills – because I'd say Kirk Cousins by far has better arm talent than Teddy ever had, right? But he got them farther than Kirk has to date. I hope it changes with Kirk. I don't think it will because he's been in the league as long as he has, but maybe he's a late bloomer. And uh, with Kevin O'Connell, that can change. But to say... Kirk Cousins is the answer, right? And we're hearing that if you watch Twitter this weekend, all you heard was Kirk Cousins and, you know, and it's not that case. I'm sorry. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, But we got two other guys that we want to discuss, and especially when we're comparing the 70s, Versus the 80s and 90s versus right now where we're at 2000, you know, 2022. There's a whole lot of football changes and the, and the game has evolved back in the 70s and up through up until 2010. What's the primary focus on the offense? Mm-hmm. It's run the ball. Yep. Right. Own the game, run the ball, hand off, left, Smith, Peterson, whoever. It's run the ball, own the game by running the ball, outpower the other guys. The passing game, even back with Fran Tarkington, was second. We were running the ball. We had Chuck Mm -hmm. Foreman, Mr. Twister, the guy who could spin out of almost anything. 
We ran the football. That was the primary objective on how an offense ran. That has evolved over time. Now we're more into, you know, getting more efficient. You're more efficient by throwing passes. You're more efficient by throwing passes, especially beyond the sticks instead of two-yard kickdowns. You're more you know, you can make an average of, and I don't remember the PFF numbers, but per pass play, it may be nine yards. Per run play, it may be three, right? So it's more yep. effective to throw the ball now. Well, that more effective throwing the ball now favors these quarterbacks now who are in the position to throw the football. And they're also favored by the rule changes because you can't touch them. They wear skirts. If you offend them by talking to them across the line, you get a flag thrown. Unsportsmanlike conduct, right? No, it's it's a you got to judge it by errors. Now there are certain factors that are constant, and we're not going to. I'm going to leave them as a surprise because this is where you and I are going to disagree. But go into your next argument. Yeah, so I, I think Fran Tarkington is the best quarterback that we've ever had in the, at, for the Minnesota Vikings, and I really don't think it's particularly close. He uh, like, And I, I say with this caveat, Brett Favre I don't consider the Vikings quarterback. He played for the Vikings. So did Warren Moon. I have both of them higher on my top 10 quarterback list. Tarkington at 10, Moon at 9, Favre at 4. Uh, but I'll say this, I just don't consider Moon and Favre as Vikings. They were here for a short time at the end of their career in their late 30s, early 40s. In my brain, I don't consider them a Vikings quarterback. They're a Packers quarterback and an Oilers quarterback. They were Hell, rentals. I've got I've got two Moon jerseys behind me. You're not going to find a bigger Warren Moon fan other than his mother. Like Moon is my guy. He's my favorite football player of all Maybe time. Maybe his wife. Okay? Kids. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Semantics aside. Big Warren Moon guy here. I think Dante Culpepper is the most skilled quarterback that the Vikings have ever had, and I think he's the second-best quarterback in the history of the Vikings. And one of the really frustrating parts about this conversation is one thing that keeps getting thrown in my face, oh, like, look at the stats. Like, I don't want you to pull up a pro football reference page and read off numbers when Kirk Cousins, one, has been handed the keys to two Lamborghinis and failed to really do anything with it. Just look at 2018 and 2019. Lamborghinis, ninth best scoring defense, fifth best scoring defense, phenomenal weapons surrounding him, and he couldn't do jack squat. Like, and by jack squat, you're not advancing to the NFC Championship game. Dante Culpepper took a Vikings franchise that one, Red McCombs was actively trying to bury so he could sell it for a profit. Two, they had Mike Tice, who, God bless his soul, was a fantastic offensive line coach, had no business mm-hmm. being a head coach, and they was hired specifically to save money. Three, those defenses were so atrocious that they were starting Waswa Sirwanga and Nate Wright and Robert Tate, a former wide receiver who was only converted at the NFL level, playing cornerback consistently. The Vikings were set up to fail. Red McCombs didn't care if they were successful. Culpepper was the only reason that they saw any kind of success. Well, and Randy, I have Chris Carter. Well, and now here's the interesting thing: people are like, "Oh, he Jake was Green. only like his uh, 
shut up, Dave. Let me talk. Um, so one of the one of the lazy narratives is, oh, he was only so good because he had Randy Moss. Well, what people don't realize is he one has an absolute bazooka. Two, he set the NCAA Division One record for completion percentage his last year at Central Florida, and then he broke that record in two thousand four. Uh, with the Vikings, breaking Ken Anderson's long-standing record from the late 70s, early 80s at 69.2%. Now, that number's been bested a few times since, but from even from 2004, the amount of rule changes that have come across have been incredible to help out the passing game. So when you take a look at it, I've got a Google Doc, and I did some research on my lunch break today. Throughout the five years that they played together, Culpepper had good completion percentages. His targets to guys not named Randy Moss were substantially more accurate than his targets to Randy Moss. So this narrative of, hey, you know, he was only good because of Moss. Well, let's you can go back to that five-game sample where they didn't have Randy Moss um, in the 2004 season. He played pretty well with a defense that was, I think, 29th in the league in scoring in yards. Just an atrocious defense. He carried that team to a playoff spot. He carried them to a win at Lambeau Field where they broke out to a 14-0 lead within the first five minutes of the game. And then they just kept torching the Packers over and over and over again. There has never been a Vikings quarterback that, while they played for the team, had more skill than Dante as far as arm talent, as far as the ability to rush the football, where he broke multiple records in 2004, including including the total yardage for a quarterback record because he had 4,714 yards and over 400 rushing yards, which eclipsed Dan Marino's 5,084 passing yards and negative seven rushing yards. So he broke multiple records, and the only reason he didn't win MVP, Peyton Manning threw 49 touchdowns. That's the only reason. And yep. somebody decided Michael Vick was the MVP in 04. Cool story for Vick before all the dogfighting stuff. He was a fantastic and exciting player. But he was not a more valuable player than Dante Culpepper, who dragged a lifeless Vikings roster to a playoff win in Lambeau Field. The first time the Packers, I believe, ever lost at home in the playoffs. Like, I'm sorry, Kirk Cousins can't touch that. He was gaining the keys to two Lamborghinis and not even cracked the bed. Like, uh, you can, and everybody likes to make excuses for him. Oh, John Filippo, Mike Zimmer. Well, you know what? Great ones overcome circumstance. But Aaron Rodgers won a Super Bowl with Mike McCarthy. He kept winning divisions with Mike McCarthy as his head coach. I don't want to hear it. At the end of the day, if you're this great quarterback, you need to elevate and you need to rise above and take your team. There are three tiers that I care about. The quarterback that can elevate and carry the team to victory. There are about eight guys that can do that. Kirk's not one of them. There are guys like Matthew Stafford. You hand them the keys to a a high-profile car, they can drive it to a Super Bowl. Kirk's not one of those either. He's a guy that needs a souped-up Lamborghini, and you hope he can drive it to the finish line in first place. He hasn't been able to do it at all in his career. He's never won more than 10 games. I don't see it happening where he's able to, to do it at this point in his career, is that at a certain point you're not going to change. And Kirk Cousins... Yeah, but there are late bloomers that have come out. So for those no, that are looking here's, here's for the hope, thing. there are late bloomers in history. Sure. 
if you want to talk about a guy who sees the field, and, oh, he's finally starting to see the field better. Like the whole West Coast offense theory where you needed three years, three years to really get the system down enough to be able to run it with confidence, five years to master it. Okay, that's fine. If you're seeing the field and you're becoming more comfortable with the system, I can understand that, Dave, and I would agree with you. Kirk Cousins is too risk-averse to ever be a great quarterback, and he's told us that he wants to play risk-averse football. The the touchdown pass to seal the game against the Green Bay Packers, um, sorry, to take the lead, and then they ended up driving back down to seal it. He talked about how he shouldn't have made the throw. Mike Zimmer, the next day, is like, no, Kirk needs to make those throws. It's okay to throw an interception. You need to try and take that next step. Kirk has it wired in his brain where I don't think it's possible to unravel it and rewire it so he all of a sudden becomes more aggressive. Matthew Stafford was always that aggressive, but he was able to control it enough with Sean McVay, even though he threw 17 interceptions, most in the league, and threw the most pick sixes, I believe, with six. They were able to control it and minimize those massive mistakes enough to where they were able to win a Super Bowl. You're not going to rewire Kirk Cousins' brain. And well, I've, I've been saying all preseason, I hope Kevin O'Connell can do a brain transplant. Kevin O'Connell lives in Kirk's head, and those actions come out. Because Kevin O'Connell was an aggressive quarterback. He just didn't have the physical talents to to progress beyond you know a backup. Mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins has the physical talents to be an elite quarterback. But it's it's up here that's the problem, right? And when it's up there and he's risk-averse, I like to call it vapor locks under pressure, it causes and results in that 500 record he has. He is the perfect definition of a backup quarterback. He wins you half the games. That's what you want. But he's paid as an elite quarterback. He's still this season making the third highest amount of money. And what have we got for that investment? Nothing. Nothing. You got a a miracle playoff win that only extended the career of Mike Zimmer in Minnesota by two years. Good about Kevin Stefanski. Well, and that started the downfall of of the Zimmer Spielman Vikings shortly thereafter. Now, Mm -hmm. there's one thing I wanted to – I popped up. We talk about stats, right, pro football Mm -hmm. reference. Yeah, there's stats across the bottom. The one I want everybody to look at is the one above the numbers. It says three times pro bowler, okay? He's a pro bowler. Pro bowl now is sort of a joke on how they do it versus what they did in previous eras. Um. Because the way it goes now, it's more of a popularity contest than it was, especially in Tarkenton's age. But with this, it's a nationally recognized achievement level, right? Mm-hmm. Three-time Pro Bowler. But as we stated, Dante Culpepper would have won. He was the runner-up to Peyton Manning, and he would have won that year if Peyton Manning hadn't gone all Peyton God on that season. Dante Culpepper was that good. He almost won the MVP, runner-up, right? Now we'll go flip back to 
look at Kirk's pro football reference. He's got three Pro Bowls, right? How many of those has he made as alternates? I think two of the three, if not all three. At least two, if not all three. And uh, I couldn't figure out what the heck this 2015 PFWA MIP was. But it's an old Most improved. Okay, most Most improved player. Okay. Which is fair because he took over the starting job middle of 2014. 2015 was his first full year. Okay. So he's most improved player, right? So that's his present error accolades. Before was Kirk Cousins, or this is Kirk Cousins. Before was uh, Dante's accolades, professional accolades that he gets during his career so far, Mm -hmm. and he's going into his 11th season, right? Yep. You could say they're relatively comparable. I disagree because of all the things we talked about. I think uh, Dante Culpepper was by far much better. I think the, yes, Kirk Cousins hasn't had Randy Moss in his prime, but he, he's had three outstanding receivers, right? And he still I would argue, Dave, that – and it, because Culpepper's first year, he had Robert Smith, he had Randy Moss, and a 37-year-old Chris Carter, who was still good, but he wasn't nearly the player that he used to be. Right. Like Kirk Cousins has had a better group of weapons in every year that he's been the Vikings starting quarterback than any single singular year that Dante Culpepper had. Like When you talk about the depth at receiver with uh, – Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, and then you have Dalvin Cook in the backfield, or Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook in the backfield. And then you have guys like Irv Smith, Kyle Rudolph. Like the tight end for those Vikings teams, Johnny McWilliams, Byron Chamberlain, who ended up being a pretty decent player, but he wasn't better than what the Vikings currently have. You're, I think the easiest way to talk about this conversation, um, and then we need to start wrapping up the show because we got about oh, eight minutes left. We've got another quarterback to talk about yet. Oh, I know, and I'm going to let you kind of take over because um, you you have a little more knowledge than me. If all three of these guys were playing with the same roster in the same season, who is the better player? And I think that is one way that where you have to look at, at some of these guys. Well, and I think if you put you got, somebody put in the chat earlier, Don, like Culpepper, you put him in this today's day and age, like Culpepper. It, Culpepper was the size. A large linebacker. He was what? 265. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he had a cannon with accuracy. Mm -hmm. Like he would tear up today's NFL. Well, it was Donnie, I believe, that was the one that posted that about, well, if you take Moss and his size, right, versus what was available in the 70s. Now you had Gene Washington and some uh, Ahmad Rashad guys like that, yes, size of players has gone up uh, over the decades. That's why I want to compare them, not necessarily in the stats department, because we all know when you come to yards thrown, uh, as you said, completions, when the rules have changed, you can't touch quarterback anymore, stuff like that, all that's changed. It's grown. 
lineman back in the 70s, a big offensive lineman tackle was 250 or 270. Right now, they're 370, right? 350 and 370 for monster guys, right? And they're a couple inches taller. There's a difference. But the one thing that I wanted to show everybody and why there is no doubt the people that are making the argument that Kirk Cousins is the best quarterback the Vikings have ever had are, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was, I think it was Dan, who talked about harvesting mushrooms, and he was harvesting morels earlier. Morels are awesome. He says, but he's Mm -hmm. not doing magic mushrooms. I think the people that are advocating that Kirk Cousins is the best quarterback the Vikings have ever had are doing magic mushrooms. It's the only thing I can explain that illogic in their brain. Because next we have the greatest Viking quarterback of all time, Sir Francis Tarkington of Bloomingdale. Fran Tarkington. Numbers may not matter, but look at the era accolades. Nine Pro Bowls. One All-Pro, that's AP, first time. Uh, He had MVP. He's got all sorts of others from Rookie of the Year, beyond, 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 beyond. He led the league when he retired with most passing yards ever. And touchdowns. He's, and touchdowns. He is obviously a Hall of Famer. Deserve, Well-deserved. Needs to be there. He is the first, and Bud Grant helped this, especially on the second stint uh, when he came back to Minnesota. They tried to make him a pocket passer, traditional pocket passer in New York, right? And he was getting crushed. He's not a big guy. He's only six feet. By today's standards, that's not a big quarterback, right? A big quarterback, 6'4 to 6'6. Six, six. Um, but he believed rather than getting crushed, I'm just going to run away, right? And he mm-hmm. was the most mobile individual I have ever seen in my entire life. I remember watching him in games run around with defenders chasing him all the time, looking downfield, and then boom. He hits a mod Rashad screaming down the sideline. He was the first to do that. But Grant said, you do you, right, basically, and allowed him to do that. And it absolutely worked. We have since seen that in the types like Russell Wilson, right, guys that can run. We're seeing more of that now today, right? It, But he... This man right there, Fran Tarkenton, was the first to do that. And he made so much happen. And he led the league in so many ways. By far. Anybody that thinks Kirk Cousins is superior because he may throw more yards in the season. One, and then there's the whole disparate number of games during the season. Right, the maximum Tark played was fourteen in a regular season, versus where we're at now. It's seventeen. The rules were totally different. You could 
physically murdered him on the field back in the 70s, right? And there were defenders that tried to do that. To say that Kirk is so much more skilled now in his error versus Fran in his, I think it's a joke. Yeah. Back in the day in the 70s, when you talk to elite quarterbacks, who was at the top of the list? Fran was always top three. You had Staubach, right? <laughs> was probably the other one that was close. And that was it. When Even when Culpepper played, when you talked to elite quarterbacks, who'd you have? You had Manning. You had Culpepper. You had Brady, right? Yep. That was top three. Culpepper signed the richest contract in NFL history at one point, 10 years, $103 million. Kirk Cousins. Does he fall in the top three of present-day quarterbacks? No. I I don't even have him top ten. Like, I, I think Cousins, if I were to rank him, I haven't done an official ranking, but I think I'd have him at 13-14. Like, Cousins is improving and he's getting better, but he, here's here's the problem. He's too risk averse. Like his top end games where he makes those big boy throws, like the one that I always point to is 2018, week two, the tie against Green Bay, that throw to Thielen. He'll make that throw one out of 10. It has to be perfect around him. And that's something that Jay Gruden talked about when Cousins was still there. Everything's got to be perfect. And he keeps talking about how he needs to to not make boneheaded throws, even if they work. He'll, his own mental Ranch. makeup will never allow him to truly be an elite quarterback. Mm-hmm. Whereas Dante, like there's this lazy narrative that he just threw it up to Randy Moss all the time. Which no, is not the case. He didn't. He didn't at all. And you know what? When he threw it up to Moss, they were beautiful, accurate footballs. Mm-hmm. Culpepper had one of the best arms I've ever seen play the game of football. Could he read a defense very well? No. Like, he had struggles reading the defense. But that's why they they adapted the offense to read half the field. And that's still done of many quarterbacks today. Yeah. There are a lot of quarterbacks that struggle reading the entire field, and it's tough. Quarterback position's hard. And you learn. And then Culpepper eventually blew out his knee. Otherwise, he could have had. A even much better career. And it wasn't just a blow up of the knee. That thing was shredded. Right. It, it was, was just gone. shy of what happened to Teddy. Yeah. Um, everything but the dislocation for Culpepper. And then there was the stuff with um, training next to an Orange Julius in a strip mall. And Brad Childers dumped him and then picked Tavares Jackson. We know how that turned out. But to kind of wrap this thing up. If you really want to con- uh, compare across eras, you have to compare them relative to the era they played in, and you have to contextualize the stats. Because if, if Fran Tarkington and Dante Culpepper were playing in today's day and age, you'd want both of them o- over Kirk Cousins for one skill, ability, and the leadership in the sense that you're going to be willing to make those big boy plays when the, when it's needed to really seal the deal. Because as much as it was Mike Zimmer's fault for not willing to put his foot on 
the throats of the other team. Part of that was his quarterback and not really willing to uh, put in just take take control and win the game on his own. Uh, yeah, um, Purple Haze, I apologize. This this kind of ended up being a downer show, but uh, I felt like because of how much discourse there was this weekend, this is a conversation that needed to be had. Well, and Purple Haze, we don't want to bring it as a downer. Like I said, there have been quarterbacks that have developed in the later parts of their career, second half of their career. I hope Kirk Cousins is one of them. I hope Kevin O'Connell is the one that engages that portion of his brain so he doesn't become so risk-averse, that he that he views it differently as managed risk or, oper- back in the military, we call it operational risk management, um, where, yes, you're going to take some risks, but what are the rewards? How do you evaluate those versus the other? So mm-hmm. instead of taking the easy pass, the two-yard check down to C.J. Ham, like he did in the past, now he's going, no, I see Justin Jefferson is shoulder-to-shoulder with the defensive guy. I'm going to throw it now because I trust Justin to get that one-two-step lead on him by the time the ball gets there and let it go. That's what I want to see from Kirk Cousins. I'm not saying he can't do that. Physically, the man is gifted. I wish he could scramble Mm -hmm. better, take a little bit of, you know, Fran Tarkington in the scrambling. But his arm talent is extremely – it is literally borderline elite, if not elite. It's just the mental portion of it and Purple Haze. That's what I want to see Kevin O'Connell bring out. That's the good part of the change of this offseason when we got Kevin O'Connell and Kwesi. But Kevin O'Connell is the coach. Mike Zimmer no longer has to believe, you know, to deal with that, all that. We now have a fresh slate. Let's see it work. But where we disagree is when people said Kirk's the best. And Mm -hmm. Tyler and I, hopefully tonight, proven when you go get our judge errors, go by what their accolades of that error because that's more realistic and by far – that isn't the case with Kirk. And uh, hopefully he proves us all wrong. Hopefully yeah. another Pro Bowl. Hopefully an MVP. Hopefully a Super Bowl winner. First of many. And uh, we're talking about him in, uh, in the Hall of Fame and the first Vikings quarterback ever to win the Super Bowl. 100%. And that's one thing you're always going to get from us is 100%. We're going to give you 100% opinions. We're not going to parse things out as far as like not trying to hurt feelings. We're not going to be all duckies and bunnies. We're going to tell you how we think it is. And that's one thing, one reason I'm really proud to be a part of this team and this network is because we have the ability and not only the ability, but it's really, I'm trying to think of the right words. Um, It's like they want us to speak our minds and be honest with the audience. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that uh, from the top down. Um, and everybody knows my love for Dante Culpepper. Uh, I was very happy, even though Kirk Cousins' discourse absolutely stinks and we do too much of it. I thought this was something that needed to be addressed. 
because one, it's the off season. We really don't have a whole lot to talk about at this point. Two, um, people just disrespect Dante Culpepper because all they do is look at a pro football reference page and compare individual numbers. Um, it's it's really not that simple. And I, I hope that uh, watching and listening to this helps you contextualize within your the framework of your own mind why uh, Dante and Fran are so much better than Kirk, even though Kirk is still very good. And I hope that you can take it away from this conversation that we still want the Vikings to win a Super Bowl, and we hope Kirk can take that next step, but we just have our reservations. And uh, that is going to be the show for this evening. Um, Dave, this was fun. We didn't yell at each other. I'm very proud of well, us. I got a little loud. But... Each other. Oh, so did I. Are you kidding? I get fired up with Dante Cole. I don't think the guys had a problem with hearing my uh, audio levels today. No, I don't think they did either. And uh, I do I do offer a programming note for me. Um, there might not be a show next week. Um, I am um, taking my wife out of town for her birthday. Her birthday is on Sunday. So um, Monday is a question mark. Um, as, as soon as I know more, we will communicate with you, the, the viewer and listener. We greatly appreciate you every single week. And I will, if I can't be there live, I'll try to have something for you Monday night. But just if there isn't anything, I apologize initially and in advance just so that you know what's going on for me. And the rest of the week, on Wednesday, Matt's already told me we're going to have a Vikings happy hour. Says it might not be as long as usual. Well, we'll have fun. We'll drink a few beers, tell a few stories. It's going to be a great time. Matt and Ryan will be back. Ryan's back healthy, and that's a good thing. And then on Saturday, you'll get myself and Darren Campbell, soup, as we wrap up the week and talk anything that happened this week. I think there's supposed to be a second OTA. We might get into some other subjects as we do our traditional Darren's deep thoughts or my deep dive into something. Who knows? We haven't Mm -hmm. figured it out yet, but we'll figure out something. And we really appreciate y'all coming and uh, staying with us on every show. It uh, means a whole lot to us and can't wait to see you there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm um, looking forward to all the great stuff coming uh, on the climbing the pocket YouTube channel this week. But with that, I appreciate all of you for sticking around. Um, and please, uh, if you uh, have a differing opinion, drop in my DMS. Let's have a conversation about it. Let's talk about why Dante Culpepper is so great and how he got a raw end of the deal because Red McCombs is cheap and oh, refused to put nice. a team around him. Um, in the meantime, from Dave, myself, Tyler, we will be back either next week or the week after, and we will be talking more Vikings football. And oh, Dave, what is it that we tell the people at the end of the show? First off, We're here on Mondays to turn your Monday purple. And also, Skull Vikings! Skull Vikings, baby! Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell, and rate us on your favorite aggregator. And a special shout-out goes to our partners, the Daily Norsemen, where the best Vikings content can be found. And to Lake Monster Brewing, home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skull, everybody! Skull, everybody!